to a topic we were talking about uh maui with cy express on the other episode we had here and uh cy was telling about how they were doing an airlift they were sending over sea support and all of those kind of things well i saw a really interesting tweet this morning from ryan peterson over at flexport take a look he said flexport.org and our nonprofit partners has thus far been told by the government in Hawaii not to ship aid relief yet, digging in to find out why. He continues on to say, I think this is normal as they don't want to get in the way of first responders. But yeah, it's a little weird. It's really like it's really likely to build a bottoms up relief agency over time and not wait for instructions from the bureaucrats. But we're not there yet. And last thing I want to do is cause problems in a crisis. Sounds like a little frustration over at Flexport getting some relief over there. And it's not the only frustration. There's tension over on the island. The BBC reports staff told the BBC that many guests were sympathetic to the crisis on the west of the island. Others have complained about their scheduled activities like horse riding, zip lining being canceled. Rumors have also spread that realtors are going around the island trying to buy up people's land, feeling conspiracy theories about all this stuff. Meanwhile, experts are scrutinizing Hawaiian Electric as they search for the cause of that. There's a lot going on here. A lot to get into on this show. We have some great guests in studio. We got Rachel Premack waiting in the wings. So here's what's on deck. On today's episode, I'm joined in the studio by Alex Mai from the Mother Trucker News Show and Truck Parking Club's Evan Shelley and Hunter Shearer. We're talking about truck parking solutions, bathroom access for truckers, unusual pets, semi-truck pontoons, way more, selling trucking t-shirts, whatever we got. We got Freightways' Rachel Premax. She's looking at how freight data showed targets troubles early on. What did Sonar have to say about that? What's going on with discretionary purchases? CEO Ivo Verhang and Henrik Bersinger of Powerhouse AI take us on a virtual tour of a DHL distribution hub in Singapore to show off how their tech works. And uh, with DOT audits up 54% from 2022, now's a perfect time to talk to J.J. Keller's Josh Lovin. We'll talk about FMCSA data and all that kind of thing. But let's tip the band and we'll get into it. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global logistics powerhouse. Today, AIT is customizing supply chain solutions for multinational Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating tailored plans that fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from logistics pros at AITWorldwide.com. But right now, hey, Rachel Premack, Editorial Director of Freightways, happy 10-year anniversary on going to, what was it, South Korea? Yeah, yeah. Um, 10 years ago, to, 10 years ago this month, I went to South Korea for the first time. It was basically my first time out of the country besides going to Canada, which doesn't count because I grew up in Metro Detroit where you sometimes get Canadian self-service um, if you're in the wrong part, a part of town. But yeah, it was my first time in South Korea um, 10 years ago this month. What, what was your big takeaway from going to South Korea when you, when you reflect back? Was, yeah, I mean, I feel like the most interesting part of South Korea, maybe Seoul more specifically, is that, um, you know, if you look back a few decades ago, South Korea was one of the poorest countries in, in the world, essentially. And nowadays, and, you know, even 10 or 20 years ago, it's actually one of the most wealthy countries uh, in the world. So just seeing how that change reflects in the population, you know, you'll be on, a, you'll be on the subway, you'll see 
you know, a young person who might be, may have, you know, traveled internationally, they've got like the latest phone, they've got, you know, all the latest styles, et cetera, sitting next to someone who obviously, you know, survived poverty, survived the Korean War, survived all of these, um, you know, challenges that just the young people today just couldn't even fathom or experience. So it's just really interesting to see how a country becoming very wealthy over a very short period of time, it just really, you see these really interesting juxtapositions just walking around and, and traveling around. Any, any plans to go back? Well, I lived there from like 2016 to 2018. I would really like to go back. I was obviously COVID made that challenging. Uh, but I think now that things are pretty much back to normal there, they no longer have a mask mandate as of the last few months or so, um, or six months or so. I think I could definitely go back. It's just kind of a long, expensive flight. But hey, if there's a Korean trucker story out there, I can maybe I can figure something out. I'm sure there's got to be at least one Korean trucking story out there, Rachel. Well, there is a big story here all across the news. People talking about Target this morning. Earnings came in with Target. But a week ago, our own CEO and founder, Craig Fuller, was on Bloomberg. And he was talking about this chart right here. Can you show that? This is talking about truck visits to Target, and Craig Fuller explained why truck visits for discretionary purchases at places like Target's were falling, while visits to more staple-driven purchases like Walmart and Costco wholesale were fairly stable. Rachel, what are we looking at here? Right, so this is a pretty stark you know, view on what's going on um, at Target. What we're seeing is that you know truck visits were pretty stable through 2020, 2021, really even growing at certain parts. It kind of sharply you know, went back down in 22 and then sort of built back up throughout 22. And now it, since, you know, 23, it's really crashed below, um, you know, any sort of point in the last three years or so. And this definitely is reflecting in Target's earnings. We're seeing that Target has actually had to pull back their uh, full year guidance for sales. They were expecting maybe a low single digit uh, decrease all the way up to a low single digit increase. Now they're saying that sales for 23 will be actually probably around those mid single digit decreases compared to 22. And it's an interesting story because it's kind of a continuation of the story we've been we've been looking at for the past year plus, where consumers have enough of those discretionary, durable goods. They don't need to buy any more air fryers or couch cushions. Um, inflation is obviously forcing a lot, a lot of consumers to uh, shrink their spending or sort of cut back on spending. Some consumers are, of course, spending more on services like travel. Um, and as a result, companies like Target or even Home Depot or Lowe's that really specialize in those durable goods, they are going to see and they you know, continue to see their sales drop compared to 21, certainly, as well as 22. You know, Carl Quintilla, he put out this tweet right here because there's a lot that came out in this call. He said, Target CEO says during first five months of the year, our store saw a 120% increase in theft incidents involving violence or threats of violence. Is this impacting the trucking at all, Rachel? What's going on inside Target? Yeah, so this is this is interesting. Also on CNBC this morning, uh, one of the reporters there mentioned you know, in my 12 years covering retail, I've never seen a company actually break out uh, how much how how much the company was losing in terms of shrinkage, which essentially means you know shoplifting, maybe some you know 
stealing or loss on, on the side of employees, but mostly shoplifting is essentially what shrinkage means. This is definitely something that not only Target has been talking a lot about in, in the last year or so, but also Walgreens has been another retailer that's been talking a lot about the impact of shoplifting um, in on their stores. It's interesting because this is the first time I think we've seen a company say that not only are we getting shoplifting, but we're also getting threats of violence. And this also kind of ties in a little bit about uh, you know what happened during Pride Month, which is that these retail stores aren't just you know places where folks are shopping and working. It's also perhaps like an area where your safety might be threatened. Um, I think this is something that certainly uh, we've seen Target employees uh, talk about. You know that they've seen their safety actually threatened while at work. And that's a whole other can of worms way beyond just, you know, consumers just hoping to drop down their spending. If we're getting to the point where these retail stores are no longer safe places to be, then, um, you know, we've got a big problem on our hand for sure. Now, you mentioned Pride. How about conservative boycotts? That has come up. Sales at stores open for at least a year, dropped 5.4% 5. 5. last quarter, including a 10.5% drop online. Uh, we even have comments here. Gator says, I think soft boycotts are also affecting Target. I know several moms, even in my small circle, who are shopping at Target every few weeks and have cut them out completely. Garrett says, all I know is my wife would be at Target once a week. Now she never goes. I'm fairly certain there are others like her. And Robin B says, yes, I used to go weekly. I never go now. I would assume there are others. Did they bud light themselves? Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah. So, so the CEO, David uh, Brian Cornell, he actually said that the Pride Month did impact sales, did did kind of lead to some of those comparable same same store uh, sales declines that we saw in Q2. He didn't attribute it. He didn't seem to attribute it as like the main reason why sales were down, um, but it certainly was an impact. He he also did uh, um, allude to the fact that they didn't. Uh, you know, in response to protests, they did cut back Pride merchandising at some stores, but not all stores. And uh, the CEO did also mention that after they did cut back on Pride merchandising at those stores where there was pushback, they did start to see sales kind of slowly, uh, you know, gain back. So it's it's an interesting story. And it's interesting because if you look at, you know, a retailer like Amazon or Apple, those are stores that do sell um, the same sort of pride merchandise or have those same sort of allegiance with the LGBTQ plus community that, you know, a Target would. But the the fact is that if you want an iPhone, I mean, you're just going to have to deal with, with uh, if you don't have an iPhone and you don't agree with those sort of um, ideologies, you're just going to have to deal with it. But when it comes to Target, or, you know, a Bud Light, for example, you do have the alternatives if you don't agree with those sorts of progressive ideals. Well, what I think is to blame are dance mobs. Take a look at this video here. This thing went viral. It's Baby Storm. She was dancing in the Target. They kicked her out. She said the employee was racist. They called this whole imbroglio on, online. Most people said, no, the guy wasn't. You're just obviously dancing in the middle of the store and you're, you shouldn't be doing that. Kind of reminds me of the flash mobs thing from like 2010. Was that what yeah. that was the thing? Um, yeah, this is just like new flash mobs. Although, you know, this guy is really kind of ruining the, the camera situation by standing right in front of the camera in a like in a polo. <laughs> he's really he's really ruining the shot there. And I mean, I any- guess that was. The point. 
Well, here, here's the reason I go to Walmart more often than Target. It's groceries. And when you look at this, this was also in their sales report. It said groceries account for only 20% of Target's annual revenue compared to more than half of the annual revenue for Walmart. And one of the reasons, as anyone knows, Target just does not have the best grocery selection. Walmart completely dunks on them there. Is, could this be a big factor, too? Yeah, that's definitely um, a big factor in this conversation. Um, the other interesting thing outside of people just needing to buy groceries more than they need to buy patio furniture at this point is because I, my impression has always been that Walmart targets that middle, maybe upper middle segment of the population. Um, but at this point, we're really seeing the consumer either go for, I guess you could say the low end or the high end. And it's interesting because this was kind of a, a topic we hit on with the beer article back in January was that consumer, we're seeing the most growth in sales of the sub-premium beers, such as Coors Light. The, those, those beers are growing quite a lot. The other type of alcohol that's seeing a lot of growth is you know, high-end imported liquors. So we're, we're really seeing the consumers pick wine to go high-end or low-end. And Target's kind of in that middle, upper echelon. Um, and we, we, you know, we've all kind of seen and discussed those news reports about how high-end, uh, you know, high-income or middle high income consumers are preferring Walmart or Dollar Tree because they're also trying to save money. Um, and, you know, Target's kind of caught in the middle. It's not that, that really premium luxury experience, but it's also not necessarily that experience you go to for, you know, I'm just trying to save, I'm just trying to save a few bucks. I just want to get a good discount. I'm just trying to slash on my, on my household budget. Um, so I think that's one other reason why we're seeing Target caught in the middle, in addition to the fact that it's overexposed to durable goods. Well, I hope those kids can figure it out, Rachel. Tease, what's that on Moe's? You, you told me that you got some manufacturing labor data coming out. Uh, let people know what they have to look forward to. Yeah, so that's going to be for our mag for the print magazine, but I think I'll try to publish it a little bit before the print magazine because that usually comes out, I think, if they come out in October. So just kind of talking to uh, professors and workers about what they're seeing with uh, the labor movement. It's interesting because really the last, um, the, let's say, five years, a lot of the conversation has been around organizing at Starbucks or media companies or other sorts of, you know, areas of the, of the economy that don't necessarily have a lot of unionization as is. But now we're starting to see more union activity strikes, um, you know, stronger type of leadership in those sort of traditional union strongholds like transportation or manufacturing. Very cool. Well, everyone check it out. It'll be in the print edition. Rachel said she'll probably publish it early, so that'll be available for you. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile. He's in the South to my California friend, Redneck Los Angeles. They really want to be Portland. Jersey Shore of the Southeast. Just like the last one, but more violent. Also like Panama City Beach before the winter. Big bro. Little bro. San Francisco, but barbecue and Joe Rogan. Relevant one week of the year. Netflix's Outer Banks. San Diego, but Cuban. Tijuana. Murder Atlanta. Texas Atlanta. Atlanta before Atlanta was Atlanta. Mecca. Little what? 
<laughs> I'm getting an introduction to those since I've, I've moved down south. Hey, let's talk to Josh Levin. He's an industry business analyst over at J.J. Keller, and I think we're going to talk about auditing and stuff like that today. Josh, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great, bro. Appreciate the invite back here. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't believe they said about Augusta, that guy. He said relevant only one, one day out of the year. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. We had a, a, about five years ago, the carrier I worked for, we had a, a really large couple of pallets disappear that were going to Augusta. And uh, it was a nightmare. We never did find them. And uh, you would have thought we had lost some uh, a nuclear weapon or something. So, Ooh. yeah, Augusta folks, uh, that one week a year, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a big deal. Well, hey, Josh, you get a lot of questions from carriers about complying with highway safety regulations. What is one of the bigger challenges that you're hearing about right now that, that carriers are facing? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we, we did a recent survey, uh, our J.J. Keller Center for Market Insights, and the carriers we spoke to, they said that maintaining accurate, organized records was a big challenge to them. And, uh, you know, when, when, when you're under the gun on an audit and you get 48 hours to prepare for it, um, when you don't want to have to go through filing cabinets and folders, that's just wasted time. Uh, you're going to, you're going to be asked for things like driver's logs, vehicle inspections and maintenance paperwork, your, your drug and alcohol files, your unit legalization, and, and a lot of other documents. And, and I went through an audit uh, probably six or seven years ago in Providence. Uh, it originated out of Providence, uh, but we were kind of focusing on it from our Fort Smith office where we we're domiciled at. And, um, this wasn't that long ago, and I had a manager on the weekends looking through filing cabinets for paper DVIRs. You know, and when the government says, hey, I want all records associated with these drivers and these units, and when you have 240 locations like we did, if you're having to have managers on the weekends look through filing cabinets for pieces of paper uh, that are just thrown in there, uh, it's a nightmare, and I and I experienced that. So that that's a that's a real life scenario, and and that really does plague the industry. And that's why we really push to move towards kind of electronic records. But it, it there's still a lot of carriers, and I get it. If you can maintain paper files really uh, accurately, there's nothing wrong with that. But really, data is king right now, and if you can take that data, you can analyze trends, things like that. It's really hard to do that with paper. Well, speaking of data and trends, I was looking at some of yours, and one stat I saw that stuck out to me was audits increased 54% in 2022 from the prior year. What's the current state of DOT audits? Yeah, that's another great question. Audits uh, during COVID, when when basically FMCSA, DOT decided not, obviously, to go to carriers, so they went, <coughs> pardon me, they went to an off-site audit plan, and uh, now that kind of COVID's behind us, for the most part, um, yeah, they're, they're coming back on site. And so the, you, you mentioned that the audits increased on site audits increased 54%, uh, the fines and penalties associated with those audits, those went up 40%, uh, just from the year prior. And I, you know, you ask why, why, what's the cause of this? And I think it's, it's pretty simple from, if, if you're working for FMCSA, your job's to protect and, and bring the number of roadway fatalities as close as you can to zero, right? And in accidents have just since pre-COVID days, the, the the death rate per mile has has skyrocketed. I mean, we we've got over forty six thousand people, I think, that have died on our roadways two years in a row. Wow. That's up double digit percent uh, since pre-COVID, and uh, so that's really that's really what uh, that's really what we're uh, 
I, I guess, trying what, what they're trying to prevent. And with audits, you know, they're up 40 percent. Fines and violations are up uh, like 40 percent. Audits were 54. But the real the real thing that I think people need to take away from this is seven out of the top 10 audit violations in the statistics we're talking about here. They're all related to record keeping. So it's those paper, it's those pieces of paper that you can't find timely that that are really still impacting. Seven out of ten, it's just a paper thing, you know. And and so it is kind of a sobering statistic. No, yeah, no, you're right. Those are that's a good word for it. Those are sobering statistics. So how do a fleet's records impact that DOT audit? Yeah, the the, the outcome of a of an audit largely rests on the state of your documentation. You know, if you've got it doesn't matter if you've got 100 drivers or 10,000 drivers. FM's, uh, during an audit, the, the auditor's not going to speak with individual drivers. They can't ever do that. So it, it it typically comes down to just auditing what they see in front of them. A lot of it, you're sending it electronically and things like that. But if, you're, uh, if you are audited, kind of here's how it works. You're expected uh, to upload your driver vehicle and other compliance files electronically. So going back to if those are all on paper still, You've got to now convert all those, scan them in. And, you know, when you're dealing with the government and you're under the gun on an audit, you want to put your best foot forward. And if you're scanning stuff and you've got big, massive PDF files, nothing's labeled right, it just makes it look like you don't have your affairs in order. And everybody says we're creating a culture of safety, but it's really difficult to do if, if, if your compliance paperwork and your compliance program is just a mess, right? And, and really, electronic records are always in their proper place and stored uniform uniformly for each employer vehicle, so you know exactly where to go to find them. And when you're when you got a, a DOT investigator kind of breathing down your neck, it sure is nice to be able to go and, and show that auditor an electronic record keeping system that shows kind of hey, here's how we track trends and here's how we investigate anything uh, or everything. But basically, electronic files are there's they're, a lot easier to share. You don't have to make copies. It's a whole lot cleaner, um, and, and it eliminates the shoe boxes and filing cabinets. Because if you're if you've got an auditor in your office and you're having to dig through paper files, it's just an automatic. Uh, it, it just doesn't paint you in a, in a really good picture. And and security is one of the biggest benefits in in protecting that information. Uh, drug and alcohol ref- records, as you know, have to have. Sp- specific security requirements. So again, everything electronic, it's easy to kind of put behind a firewall, uh, a locking key, a virtual locking key, if you will. If you've got a filing cabinet that drivers, maintenance employees, things like that, are putting maintenance records, DVRs, things, uh, any other kind of documents in, it uh, it's hard to secure those as you're supposed to. So how do I prepare for the audit or even better, avoid the audit entirely? Because that, that sounds like my preferred option. Yeah, that's always the best one, right? And uh, and, and I'm glad you asked. We can bring uh, basically how you can leverage electronic records uh, for more than just being organized. And here's what we recommend to stay out of an audit. And I did this for almost 15 years, and we did it several times a year. But uh, conduct a mock inspection and a DOT audit. Uh, that's using FMCSA safety management cycle. That's what the auditors are trained to use. They, they use the... Uh, they use that cycle as, as a guide, and our DOT audit workbook is a free resource that can help a lot with that, kind of makes it makes sense of the, the complex regulations, but really it goes down to electronic record keeping. 
It makes it easier and quicker for a carrier to uncover areas and remediate poor compliance processes. So it's really hard for somebody in Portland, Oregon to, to versus Portland, Maine, if, if you may have problems in both areas, but if you don't have some type of way to analyze those trends and, and take documents and information from two different subcategories and combine them, you're never going to be able to get to the root cause of the problem. So we really, that, that's, that's the whole idea behind electronic record keeping. It can create those trends and graphs at, at a moment's notice. But the other thing, another thing you can do is work with a third party like J.J. Keller for an unbiased evaluation and feedback on their compliance programs. That's when a consultant will come to your facility. They'll take a slice of your compliance pie. They're not going to go through all your driver records, your average service files, your drug and alcohol qualifications. What they'll do is if you have 100 drivers, they may just look at 10 of them. They'll want a, a slice of that pie. And basically, when they when they observe nonconformance or, or issues, you can kind of build a brand and work around corrective action to prevent subsequent issues. Um, and, and really, the, the it, it all comes back to if you're not using electronic records, I know I'm beating this dead horse, uh, but it's really hard to identify trends on a big level. If you've got a if you've got an operation with maybe fewer than 50 trucks, you probably can do that with pen and paper and, and spreadsheets. But if you've got if you've got more trucks and drivers than that, you know, the best in class carriers use data to elevate their safety programs and operational standards above those industry standards. And and I've done depositions in courtroom work for, for over 20 years. And it is no longer acceptable to be industry standard. If you're in a courtroom because of a significant accident that was your fault a plaintiff attorney and a judge in a courtroom expects you to be above industry standard, especially if you're a large carrier. So the first step moving towards uh, moving yeah. towards that is, is electronic record keeping. Very cool. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for giving some insight on this. And thank you for pointing out that, that incredible growth. Fleets, you know, get on this thing. Go check out J.J. Keller. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, sir. Take it easy. All right. China, India, Korea, Vietnam, Belgium, the Czech Republic, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. More than 2,700 AIT worldwide logistics supply chain experts are stationed in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2023, they're adding even more global locations as the organization strives to make it easier than ever for companies to ship between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, as unique as you, you can learn more at AIT worldwide.com all right elsewhere this shipping container tiny home sits on a cliffside with an amazing view and is the perfect airbnb for a getaway and wait for our discount code through the door is the living room with a couch and a massive window that spans the whole front to sit and enjoy then there's a full kitchen with lots of reclaimed materials and the floors are the original container floors then a queen bed that matches the colors of the exterior and now your full bath with a tiled shower, then up the ladder to the loft with a convertible couch mattress that expands to a queen bed and multiple windows for probably the best view in here. Back down and out on the mini porch, there's a table and chairs to dine with a view, but wait, there's more. There are two communal fire pits shared by the other two amazing container homes on this property, so you could book all three with a large group. Plus, the homes own some other gorgeous properties in the area, including a modern cabin on the lake, a cliffside luxury treehouse, and a tiny A-frame. Be sure to like the video, comment if you would stay here, and use our discount code JOURNEYMORE15 for 15% off your stay, and follow us for the best Airbnb finds. So F3, Chattanooga, coming up November 7th. If I didn't already live here, probably want to stay there. That's about, The only bad thing is about that place, it's about 30 minutes away from here. 
I also don't know if like original floors on a shipping container are necessarily a selling point. I've been in some shipping containers. I don't know. Maybe they're nice on that one. But hey, we're going to get a warehouse tech demo now. So we got Henrik Bursier, Strategic Partnerships at Powerhouse AI. And I believe this is their CF, their CEO as well. Introduce yourself, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really a joy. Um, my name is Ivo, uh, CEO and co-founder at, uh, at Powerhouse AI. Today calling in uh, from Singapore, but our uh, operations um, are from uh, the US and both Singapore. And what we do is we uh, provide warehouses with very fast to implement and affordable warehouse automation solutions. Very cool. Well, Henrik, tell me a little bit about what we're going to look at in just a minute here. I'm going to play the tape you guys made, the demo of this in action, but uh, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. I appreciate kind of coming on the show. So what you're going to see in this uh, kind of compilation of clips that we kind of put together for you is uh, the flow of goods using our technology in a warehouse setting, and then also some more technology related to multi-label scanning and uh extraction of like document information so like comes with a shipping label or a shipping manifest so that you can then match what comes with the freight with what's on the paper that's really what's going to be the core today well very cool automating warehouses through ai powered vision we have a tape here let's roll it and guys feel free to tell us what we're looking at feel free to talk over this let me know what uh what we're showing off here yeah Absolutely. Um, so this is this is one of our use cases. So in short, what we do is we digitize warehouse processes from end to end and use the power of the camera to automate tasks that normally take a lot of manual effort. So think of counting boxes on pallets or think of cross-checking labels with your warehouse documentation or reading papers like delivery orders and automatically keying it in. And actually in this video, what, you're just, what you've just been seeing uh, here, it was an inbound process in which the warehouse operator takes a picture of the paper uh, warehouse documentation. We process it automatically. Then he takes pictures of all the deliveries, all the pallets, the labels, even if not barcoded. And what we do with those pictures, we automatically count the number of boxes we uh, check the labels and we automatically cross-check it with the delivery order, the paper delivery order, and push it directly into your WMS, really to uh, automate uh, and and like like really make your inbound uh, process more more efficient. Uh, over here, you see uh, our cycle count process, very similar uh, type of uh, uh, type of process in that sense. Uh, where the technology is used to automatically do cycle count and uh, count the number of boxes and do automatic reconciliation uh, between the data in your uh, in your warehouse management system. And this is actually a really cool new feature um, which we have created with the support of DHL in which um, we can uh, scan multiple barcodes and multiple information, so not only barcoded information, also expiry date, just by moving your phone over it. So we can scan 20 boxes in one go, uh, really speeding up uh, the process of uh, checking your inventory. Are they just, they're just using like a regular cell phone for this? This isn't like a specialized piece of equipment? Regular cell phone. I think that that's really our differentiation with other type of companies uh, that we really offer as solutions that are very easy to implement with hardware that everyone has and everyone knows how to use. 
what have the results been for this location? What has DHL in Singapore been saying? How has this enhanced what they do? Yeah, so um, so we did a benchmark on it with about a thousand boxes, and it was twenty-two to thirty-six percent quicker than a conventional barcode scanner, and the accuracy was a hundred percent. That's pretty good. How did you get it so accurate? Uh, so there are multiple cross-checks in here. So what you can see here, for example, uh, we automatically cross-check the data with what we see in the image, and the um, and the so that that's an additional type of check on top uh, of the what we then call optical character rec recognition technology that is built into into our software as well. Really, really. How long has this been in action over at that warehouse? So this is this is really new. So this has been only a month. Oh, wow. Very new, very fresh. How long how long have you guys been building solutions like this? Uh, we are now in the business for two and a half to three years, almost, and really um, came out from and mainly mainly existed because my co-founder has a has extensive experience in robotics, and he has seen that warehouse robotics, warehouse automation is not suitable for all use cases. And for a lot of warehouses, it's either too expensive or too complex. So we really wanted to provide an alternative, uh, a solution that is very easy to implement. Um, very and and like relatively affordable uh, as well, and therefore our choice of hardware being a mobile phone, and we can be up and running in a week. Awesome. Well, how do people go and learn more about how this all works? Yeah, they can of course visit our website, so uh, powerhouseai.com, um, and the best way, of course, to get to know if the technology suits your warehouse operation uh, is just to get a free trial. So yeah, they can sign up for that as well on the website. Guys, hey, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for introducing us into this, uh, this product. What exciting two and a half years and an exciting launch for you guys. People want to learn more. Where do I send them to? Yeah, so uh, just, uh, just contact us via powerhouseai.com. We, uh, we have a contact form or they can call me directly or email me directly. Also, the details are on the website. Guys, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Take it easy. All right, let's transition. Drop that. Hey, welcome. The whole the whole squad is here. We got the Truck Parking Club guys. Introduce yourselves. Yeah, I'm Evan Shelley, co-founder and CEO of Truck Parking Club. I'm Hunter Shear, Chief Growth Officer. And we got a legend here, YouTube legend. Stop Mother it Trucker News. <laughs> Stop it already. You know, I'm just trying to be like you guys. <laughs> this like, is amazing here. People can't see this from home. Yeah. But what you got going on, brother? Yeah. Is looking hot. It's I know, but good. like so here's the thing. I I've seen your driveway. You have like monogrammed mother trucker seats <laughs> in your car. I got a minivan out there, but it does not say like what the truck on it. 
Hey, that just tells you you're missing something. We need to get that goals. done. I got some goals. Oh, before we get into things, let me so I don't have to hold these all day. Here you go. Here's yeah. A, pass them down. Pass pass them down the water. Oh yeah. Already. Here you go. Thanks. There you go. Oh, I love this. Check this out. That's no thirty nine ninety nine charge here, Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now you guys. So on FreightWaves.com, there's actually a big announcement about Truck Parking Club. Grace Sharkey put an article out. What is she going on about? Yeah, so today we actually released a new feature, free service to truckers, 143 rest stops in eight states that shows real-time availability of truck parking. So think the road signs you pass on the interstate that shows the number of spaces available maybe for something that's five miles ahead. We've actually put that on our app where any trucker in the United States can know availability in real time at 143 rest stops across those eight states. Interesting. So, Alex, how did you hook up with these guys? The the honest truth? Yeah. He he, he got me on the DMs. He got you on the DMs? He just uh, slid in? He just slid in the DMs. I, I think it was LinkedIn. I have three followers on LinkedIn. And he, he thought that that'd be accessible. And no, he so he reached out and just said, hey, you know, you look like somebody that cares about truck drivers. And if that's true, give me a second of your time. And, because we have a, a parking solution that can help a lot of truck drivers out there. And so when it comes down to it, I mean... That's what I represent, truck drivers. Yeah. So if there is a solution to help truck drivers find more truck parking, then I at least have to give them a call. So I give them a call, and then from there, you know, we just built a friendship, and now we just support each other and want to see each other grow and help truck drivers at the end of it. Now, if you're not familiar with his channel, you should be. You should go subscribe while you're there. Subscribe to Freight Waves for, for What the Truck. But his show is very driver-facing. You deal with all the issues driver-faced from the perspective of a driver parking we all know the statistic i think there's like one spot for every 11 drivers what kind of feedback do you hear about truck parking what kind of issues have you had yourself trying to get some you know so i was a truck driver and mover for north american van lines for about 10 years yeah and so let me let me tell you how backwards this is right so america as a whole wants their freight we all know that but then sometimes they got to these trucks that got to go through towns yeah. So small towns, they don't like a lot of noise. So noise ordinance, you know, you, you, you want the freight, but you don't want the truck driver. Yeah. So it, it becomes this big concern. So we're always fighting for truck parking. And just as it goes, any truck driver that's watching the show, which I know millions are, it's one of those things where it hits three o'clock, especially around here. There's no truck parking. Mm. And so now you're, you're trying to beat the clock. You're trying to get somewhere safe. And what do you do? You find yourself trying to just go around in circles. And so that's a big problem, you know, and we're, we're hoping that there, there are some solutions out there, you know. Speaking of solutions, you guys are working on those right now. You got, what was that, Tiny Trucker Tim? Oh, yeah, Tiny guy. Trucker Tim. Tiny Trucker Tim. Tiny right. Trucker Tim. What kind of, because I've, I've met, now that I've known you for about six months, right, you've been out here, you've been evangelizing the parking, you've been building these lots. What's the growth been? How, and, and what's the feedback that you're getting from drivers? Are they feeling safe? Are they, are they having a good place to park? Yeah, so we've been expanding really rapidly. Uh, the market and property owners have kind of taken to what we're doing, the Airbnb style of taking you know, a carrier with 10, 20, 50 extra spaces in their yard and putting it on the Truck Parking Club app. It's been adopted rapidly. And what we're doing is creating new truck parking day by day. I mean, today we've added two or three locations alone, I think 10 this week, um, resulting in hundreds, if not thousands of spaces within a week. Um, so the adoption has been rapid with property owners, but most importantly, we've created a self-service product that truckers can go and use the first time they're using it. It's easy to use, it's simple, it's sleek. 
um, so they can reserve that parking they need. And also, as of today, they can see rest stop availability from really anywhere in the U.S. from their phone. Alex, is it up to these two guys? If he's saying that you know they're able to expand, they're making it easy, why, why do we have to wait for Truck Parking Club to do this? Why doesn't someone else step up on, on an even bigger level? Right. So, I mean, I've gone to Congress a few times. There, there, there's a couple things that are happening here, right? Um, I hate to say it, but when it comes down to it, you know, truck parking isn't isn't the thing that's going to get politicians voted again. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know, I don't want to use the word sexy, but it's not a sexy topic. Right. And so what about three weeks ago, you know, we all heard about that Greyhound bus that crashed into uh, what three semi trucks. Rest in peace to all the people that did pass away, of course. But now they're in a two year investigation to see if are the truckers that were parked on the side of the rest area at fault at all. Yeah. And it's like they were just trying to find parking. And it, it takes things like that for it to make the news. Now there, there's politicians out there saying we need more truck parking for these truck drivers. So when it makes sense, you know, because let's be honest, you know, during the pandemic, I mean, toilet paper was a big issue, <laughs> you know, until they feel like until the consumer feels like they need us. They, they, they don't need us. You know what I mean? And so that, that becomes one of the situations. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they feel like there's more important things to work on than truck parking. But that's actually, as any truck driver, that's their top three because it affects them every day. Do, right? they, do drivers, so this is one that comes up a lot, especially like when we get in the Bucky's debate. People go, well, you don't want, even drivers themselves, like you don't want drivers here because they just ruin it for themselves. They just destroy every parking lot. Right. They leave bags of uh, excrement and piss all over the place and bottles. Is that true? Are you finding this in your truck parking lots? That's that's a great question. Uh, you know, you go on social media and you're going to see a comment like that, yeah. you know, quite a bit. Um, but, you know, through thousands of daily bookings all across the U.S. at all of our locations, we have never once had a complaint about trash or anything trash related at a property. Now, when I first started this company, I would have thought we would have based on the stereotypes that I would hear, uh, but we have not had one complaint. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. You think it's a, it's a self, self-done wound by drivers, Alex? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, in, in, in their particular situation, I would say, you know, someone that's looking for parking at the end of the night, because everyone's looking for truck parking. When they go to the rest areas, they go to the truck stops, they can't find it. And now let's say they're going on their app now and they're going to uh, grab a spot and they're having to pay out of their hard earned money. Yeah. You know, when you have to pay for something, you're gonna respect it a little bit more. And so I think that's probably a, a big reason why these truck drivers, you know, they, they probably do respect the property a little bit more because they're just thankful that they were able to find a safe, secure you know, spot to sure. park for the night, right? But when you get a big, I mean, look at any big parking lot Yeah, that's free to park. You know, there's going to be people that take advantage of it. You're going to find a lot of trash. I think we have a video of one of your lots. Let's, let's rate the truck parking right here. Yeah, is this you guys' lot right here? So, you, you viewed that down, though. It's yeah, actually uh, not our lot. That I believe that one came from when we had a booth at the Iowa 80 Truckers Jamboree back a few weeks ago. And uh, one of the guys on our team uh, loves his drone. And so he got some really cool shots. This one looks like, got a little worried about the mirror there on the uh, passenger <laughs> side, but uh, got in nicely. Uh, but it, it, I think it's something that gets people more, you know, involved in truck parking and understands and, 
and kind of Alex, this is an value. angled pulling challenge. Is it challenge? What would you rate the challenge on getting to that spot? I tell you what, for a driver that does every day, uh, probably easy. Yeah. For a new driver, a little scary. <laughs> for a new driver, a little scary, you know? A little scary getting that corner turned as you, as you exactly. try to get past that one semi right over there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything that's not a blind side is yeah. just going to be easier. And especially if they're doing it every day, you know. Hey, I give my respects to Evan, though. He he, he was being honest there. If, if I was him, I would just said, no, that is my truck parking. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Actually, it is on our app. Because yeah. oh, it is... Uh, the Iowa 80, the Walcott Iowa 80, world's largest truck stop, is on our app, shows real-time availability yeah. of their spaces, that is true. just like the spaces totally at the rest stops. So, in a sense, that is on our platform, it is on the app, and it yeah. will tell you real-time how many spaces are available. And as I watched it last night, update, I could see the spaces going down and going down. So, it's a great tool that we've offered to the platform, to the app. Uh, for the drivers, so you'll know per se before you get there how many spaces are available, and uh, in real time you can watch in your travels. That's a no. great point. I'm glad you. I'm glad he caught that. Sure. Yeah, well, the, that's why you work. Sidekick. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. I, I feel like this was set up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. That was, but wait, there's more. I'm <laughs> like Columbo. Uh, nice catch. Nice. Oh, no, but see, you guys. I remember when we first met, and you were like, "How do I market this thing?" And, and we all know that, especially now with social media marketing, is, is so important to get your message out there. Uh, it's our life; it's the life of what the truck is, the life of mother trucker. People have to know that you exist. One of the cool things you've been doing, though, is you've been going on your TikTok, you've been going to truck parking lots, you've been meeting drivers over there. I think you met this raccoon, this pet <laughs> that this guy had. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Tell him, Hunter. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we're, this is actually at the semi-casual uh, truck show in Tennessee, which was formerly the Tennessee State Truck Show. Yeah. Uh, awesome, awesome show. Some good friends of ours, the Fitzgerald Group, uh, puts that together. Um, so we were there, and this raccoon comes up at our booth. And of course, we know Scott McCorder actually come by. Also, he's a driver of 30 years. You watch our channels, uh, you'll see him on some of the TikToks and Facebook and other things. Uh, but it was a friendly raccoon. The guy said its name was Blackbeard. I thought he said Blackberry, um, but I was a little hesitant. Even though he said he had it from birth, I was like, Ah, man, I like my fingers a lot uh, to to scroll and and do all the things we need to do to help. Uh, you know, create more truck parking for the drivers out there. Alex, what animals do you do you recommend driving with, and which ones do you not recommend driving with? Um, you know, lions and bears, right? No, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you've seen the we've all seen the viral videos. I've seen it on your show, like yeah. where people have like the pigs, and parrots. So, you know, the parrots. But I mean, I would say just keep it to uh, you know uh, maybe dog or cat. Dog or one cat, not have a. You know, but hey, maybe that's a good one. You know, everybody watching the show live, comment down below. Tell me what's the craziest animal you've ever seen in the cab. Yeah, I, I would love to know. Get that engagement going. You're a pro. Speaking of a yeah. pro, one of the ways you keep yourself going is you got a great sort of clothing and apparel line. We uh, can learn from you that. a little bit. Tell us uh, about come that. On. Come on. All right. All right. Let, let me <laughs> let me let me give the, the the plug in. And actually, sure. I'm gonna keep this one because that's for you. Yeah. That's for me right here. Yeah, of course. But. I, I noticed that you're on the show. You've you've wear, uh, wore a mother trucker hat here and there. You know, thank you for that. Uh, so my partner and I, uh, Jay, we have a, a apparel called Big Rig Tees, and we're in over 230 truck stops. And as of now, uh, they are all independently owned. And you know that could change in the future because yeah. we want to be there for. Uh, our truck drivers. But we go to all the truck shows and we try to make brands that make sense. For truck drivers, everybody knows Snowman. Come on now. Sure. You know, so we have a whole team. We're the manufacturer. We got a factory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And for the last 23 years, um, 
my business partner and I pretty much, he started it all off. We just do what we can to just try to have trucking shirts that represent drivers. And it's, it's just become one of the biggest trucking brands in America, really. So what got the car, like, what got the mother trucker car? Was it the, the hats or the, or the YouTube channel? Uh, okay, I tell you, you know, uh, I'm going to have to give some props to my wife, right? So, you know, thank you to my wife, Jenna. You know, I don't want to take all the props, but, you know, uh, she's not allowed to curse at me. So she, she calls me mother trucker quite a lot for some reason, you know? And so it kind of just stuck. And my uncle, he was a mover. And so he didn't, you know, he used that word a lot too. So it was just one of those things where it just kind of became a brand. And I drove a truck and I got bored. I started making videos that nobody watched. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then everything just kind of started coming together. But I want to give you some of these hats, man. Sure. Yes, sir. Very, yeah, very cool. Hell yeah. Thank, thank yes, you very sir. much. Appreciate oh, yeah. that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey. We're good to go. We're good to go. No, these are awesome. These are awesome. This one's uh, American Strong, Big Rig Tees. We got, obviously, the classic Mother Trucker. Let's go. We got that snowman. We got the low life, one of a kind. Yeah. You see, have you guys seen head. that truck? No, man. No, you're a good dude. Yeah. You're a good dude. So, guys, you're trying to solve the parking issue, but what about the bathroom issue? In Washington, they just passed a state law that allows all truck drivers that are doing deliveries. There's a few concessions to it, but in general, they passed this law here, and starting now, all truck drivers delivering in Washington can use a bathroom if, if delivering to a uh, shipper, receiver, or retail location. A much-needed law or a not-needed law at all? Overreach by government, or should it happen? We'll start with you, Alex. I don't like to use the word, you know. You know, those type of things kind of piss me off, right? I mean, let's be honest here. You know, um, we're human beings. Yeah. We're people. And the fact that people have to fight for a law for us to be able to use the restroom. Yeah. And, and here's the part that people don't understand. Yeah, they put in the law that you have to have somewhere uh, for a truck driver to go. But then is it going to be a clean restroom like the one in Freight Waves that I just used with yeah. the, the little uh, butt heat seater on it? And a boudet. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's probably not going to be that. It's probably going to be some mobile outside you know, how many times are they really cleaning that? So, you know, I've been in situations myself where, you know, you're, you're literally waiting for hours and you're begging them, hey, you mind if I use your restroom? And they say no truck drivers allowed inside. Yeah. So we just don't feel that type of respect. So I'm happy that that is a law. But why does it have to be a law to just do something that's just just so simple and so humane? You know what I mean? So that's how I feel about it. I guess because of the lack of human decency, maybe. Right. But it could be on both sides. What do you What do you think? Is this too much government? Do we need laws for this kind of thing? I mean, I wish we wouldn't. I right. wish we didn't have yeah. laws for it. But I guess whatever it takes to get something that should just be a given. I mean, what do we, you know, what do you what do you do outside of that if if businesses are refusing to offer that to drivers? You could do restroom parking club. <laughs> oh my it's goodness. a bunch of you know. Well, since we're talking about bathrooms, yeah. there, there even needs to be a law. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, in yeah. reality, but um, I hope yeah. that it's not the expectation, Alex, you know, man, uh, you know, that they offer a decent place because we all are human. And being in a truck all day, I think if the tide was turned um, on the receiving end, they would be more accepted. There wouldn't be a need for even this law. So. No, and, and, you know, one thing to add, too, is, you know, I, I do like to play devil's advocate, right? Um, if you own a business and these truckers are coming in and trashing your place, yeah. I mean, you're not going to want to open your doors either. No. So, I mean, as drivers out there, please be respectful to other people's, you know, uh, property. And there wouldn't have to be laws that push this. 
But it, the crappy thing is that your your actions are not necessarily going to impact that driver, but it's going to impact everybody else. And if you yeah. deliver there more than once, it's going to impact all of you, and it gives that impression throughout the industry. But it's a tough problem to solve because yeah. you can, like you just point out right there, you can see from both sides. And, and a lot of people in truck, and they don't really like government overreach or law, so this always isn't the easiest thing to stomach when you get down to legislation. But we'll see how it works in Washington because they're starting to say that it might become a national model. Yeah. Stuff. You guys like to boat a little bit. You guys are like aspirational. We're all trying to make it big. What do you think about this boat right here? This semi truck on a pontoon. Way around the semi. It has all the bells and whistles. But on a sunny summer afternoon on Lake Superior in Duluth, horns, light turn signals, trailer, the highway for the waterway. High beams, low beams. And giving the term cruise control a whole new meaning. It's really an amazing piece of equipment. Man of means by no means. <laughs> I like this thing, Hunter, don't you? I've been singing land and I have uh, applause to that guy. Um, I'm very proud of together because I've built a boat uh, also, a tattoo. So uh, I guess I go ahead and say it is in my wheelhouse to uh, recreate that. Um, but ultimately, uh, I hope to present at a later time, uh, one with a much greater speed. Oh, <laughs> and he's going to, uh, he's definitely going to be tagged up with. Uh, he only had 90, club. right? He only had 90 horsepower on there on his on his pontoon. Oh, yeah. The so, last one I built uh, got 350 horse on the back. So uh, <laughs> with the semi look, you would do, like on a no, pontoon. No, no, it's, it's not. It is <laughs> a tri-tune, but it doesn't <laughs> have the spit semi feel. So you're gonna uh, skim across the water. This one I built for my children. The next one, hopefully, I can build for the drivers. What, what would something like that cost? Um, so I ended up actually very cheap for my build, about 60000 That guy, I'm going to estimate he's around six digits. Um, and I think I seen it for sale uh, about a buck fifty somewhere on one of the sites. Uh, he was offering that truck, uh, truck boat for sale, which absolutely worth it for the amount of creativity and time, effort into so. it. Um, but awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. Big well, can you invest in this? Come down the Tennessee River? How how badass would that be if you were just in a truck park? <laughs> yeah. You could get into boat parking now. Yeah, we we uh, actually had a little boat parking on or truck parking on water, right? We yeah. had a little uh, <laughs> little video about that. That actually uh, people bought into that. So maybe it's something we need to think about. We could think about. It. We could consider. It. Yeah, we'll put some time into it. You know? Yeah, we got to look at some bad driving for a second. You guys ever hit a bridge? You ever hit a bridge, Alex? Uh, got close. Got close. How yeah. close? Uh, had to call the police and like five, pe <laughs> five cops had to back me out. So that's one thing all the truck drivers out there. Um, the first time I got stuck in New York, went off. I followed my trucker, uh, trucker GPS. I mean, sometimes that happens, right? And so all I got to say is they actually told me rather call the police. They'll back you out a little bit of traffic. You won't get a fine, then hit the bridge and then shut down the bridge for four days. Yeah. And cost a whole bunch of money. So for anybody that didn't know that, they actually won't give you a ticket for it. Interesting, because I like I heard like I saw there was a guy who had a Penske truck and he took yeah. the runaway truck ramp because yeah. his like brakes were out and he had to pay for the tow out and like the resetting of right, right. the runaway truck ramp. Yeah. So now the runaway ramp. Yeah. You're gonna have to pay for that mess. Damn. Why? It's there to like save you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the you know. But if, if before you hit the bridge. Just that little detour, a police officer actually wouldn't mind doing that for free. So I'm letting you guys know that. So. Wow. So who gets who gets the bill? The carrier when you when you hit a bridge? Uh, at that point, uh, somebody. Somebody's I mean, getting it. There's yeah, some yeah. Insurance involved somewhere. <laughs> Let's see who screwed up in this one because this is this is a big boy. Like you would think you bridge might have some low. foresight before going straight into a bridge. 
Holy mackerel. I mean, that's possible, or is this thing too high? I don't think it's the bridge's fault. But, like, we yeah. could probably eliminate the bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it always the driver? If you hit something, it's, it's always, even if there's a pilot car or anything, it's the driver's fault. 100%. That's your foot. That's the gas pedal. You know, that's why you have a CDL, and that's why you're the professional. And, you know, that, I mean, really, that's the gripe with trucking, right? Uh, you know, you hear it on your show. We're overregulated. Yeah. I mean, parking, can't find parking. Nobody wants to help us find parking. I know there's a couple, you know, bills out there trying to give us some money for that. But double brokering is crazy. Yeah. I mean, we don't have enough time for all this, right? But trucking is really in a, in, a, in a bad state right now as far as uh, drivers are struggling. And so, you know, that's is why. It, I, is it hard to solve things because there, there yeah. are those so many issues? And it's yeah. so easy to get distracted on where could it go to bathrooms? Could it go to parking? Could it go to driver safety? Could it get, go to getting more women in trucking? Could it go to right. this? I mean, there's so much that comes at you. Right. No, I mean, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where, you know, let's be honest, right? 1% of America moves 100% of America. Yeah. And for them not to be able to profit and make a living, uh, that's just not right. So, you know, the, there's so many ways to skin a cat on this. But right now, companies are going out of business because there are rates for a dollar a mile on the load board. When your truck costs you a dollar seventy-five to run, yeah. so any business you wouldn't want to do it for free. So why do you expect us truck drivers? So it's just it's a big problem to solve, but a lot of people don't like talking about that issue out uh, live because they feel like you know I'm sure I might get a lot of haters on here that say Alex you know you're going down that rabbit hole yourself, but I mean this is what I'm hearing when I'm interviewing drivers. You know it's important to get all the perspectives too. I mean it's one of the reasons on this show like. We don't just talk to drivers. We also got to talk to the 3PLs and the retailers and all these people because there's, there's supply chain is interconnected. There's a lot of people doing things. And I think, it'd be, like, I think you'd probably agree with this. It would, it would help drivers more to get that perspective too. And I know this happens easily in supply. You get very locked into whatever it is you do and it becomes really easy to not see what the other side is seeing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the path to resolution. That's kind of kumbaya though. That's like, no. <laughs> how's that going to happen? Maybe it could if we follow this philosophy though. Guys, do you think we could be better podcasters, truckers, and brokers if we do what this gentleman says? My day is 6 a.m. to noon and I'm not crazy. You're crazy for thinking it takes 24 hours just like some dude in a cave did 300 years ago. My second day starts at noon and goes till 6 p.m. That's day two. And then the next day is 6 p.m. to midnight. What I've done now is I have changed and manipulated time. I now get 21 days a week. Stack that up over a month, I'm gonna kick your butt. Stack it up over a year, you're toast. Stack it up over five years, my entire life is different than it would have been otherwise. Why aren't you doing that, Evan? Yeah, so. He is doing that. <laughs> he is doing that. I see this guy work 20 hours a day, he never sleeps. Yeah. He's always uh, searching for more truck parking. Yeah. And solutions for the drivers. I know I know who that guy is. It's uh, Ed, Ed Milet. Yeah, yeah, I've heard some of his stuff, but I think, you know, I don't know. That's a lot, I guess, you know, to really look at it like that. But, you know, for us, I know at Truck Parking Club, we're just doing whatever it takes. Yeah. Well, we could do three roll the trucks in one day, but we're out of time. We only got 37 seconds left. Where do they go find Truck Parking Club? Go to truckparkingclub.com or call our customer service 888-899-PARK. Where do these mother truckers find mother trucker news? Mother trucker news on everything. <laughs> where, social media. where do they get Truck them Park shirts at and hats? Oh yeah, bigrigtees.com. All right, and you can find me at Timothy Tudor. That's D-O-O-N-E-R across all the socials. Find this show at FW What the Truck. Subscribe to us on uh, Freight Waves YouTube channel where you're there. Hit Mother Trucker. And if you want us on audio, all audio podcast players. Take care. Don't be a stranger. Interesting.